Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. All right, Dean, is your city smart yet? Mm, smart? I don't know. Do we even know what that means Ooh, at this see, point? See, let's define smart city, right? Yeah, I don't even know how to really define I, maybe it. Maybe I live point. in a dumb city. I have no <laughs> idea. I mean, does it have like an advanced degree? No. Yeah, Is right. it good at trivia? Does it win at bar exactly. trivia nights? Yes, know? yeah. So, I mean, I drive around, lights are on, things are <laughs> happening, but I don't know how smart it is. You can make it one end to the other without anything going dramatically wrong. I live in a wrong. suburb. You know, that's I think true. urban parts are where smart cities are getting some run, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. So that's our topic today. We're going to talk ah, about smart cities. Okay. Uh, we have Charlie Wu with us from Advantech. You, yep. you might remember being on the show last year about edge computing, which obviously yes. ties into this whole yes. smart city thing. Very much so. I've been looking forward to this conversation because I feel mm -hmm. like the whole smart city thing is one of those topics that we all were excited about and talking about for yes. a few years. Yes. And then suddenly everyone's kind of backpedaled oh. a bit. And we'll talk a little bit about that backpedaling okay. and why we're not quite where people <laughs> thought we were going to be and wah, why. Wah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit there. Yeah, I got you. And honestly, like, this is one of those topics I've thrown out to lots of potential guests and everyone's kind of been hands off. So ah, kudos to Charlie. Charlie stepping up. Taking the bait here, maybe? I don't know. Like, <laughs> he's, he's, he's willing to be the one to talk about with us. So we're going to talk a little bit about, again, why the smart city thing isn't quite where right. we think it was supposed to be or what we expected the future of these cities Got to it. look like. Okay. We're going to talk about machine vision versus machine learning, the so difference between them, why this is important. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Uh, how smart cities are going to manage potentially, you know, manage traffic, mm. resources resource management, mm -hmm. public safety, some of the little components of smart cities that maybe are a little more tangible and a little more realistic yep. next steps, yep. for, you know, from where we were. So okay, okay, okay. got it. It's going to be good stuff. We're yeah. going to have a conversation. Yeah. All right. All that plus our usual value to the VAR and what's tech connecting with us. It's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today, returning to the podcast, Charlie Wu. He is the product supervisor for Advantech. And uh, and, and again, Charlie's a, an expert in all things edge computing. He was, yes. I, 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 will, I will link out to that episode of the, you know, in the show notes. It was a good one. It was a very good one. At the end here, yeah. yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. It was Absolutely. A, good, a good overview of edge computing and what it means. But Charlie, tell us, you know, what have you been up to over the last year since we had you on and, and, uh, and what's going on in your world right now at Advantech? Well, the usual, I mean, I mean, um, technology space, we all heard about the great shortage of almost everything. So everybody's fighting, trying to get things done, try to get parts where it belongs. And uh, luckily, we're not automobile manufacturer. Um, we still get most of our components ready for our customer. I mean, they are suffering. We are suffering just like everybody else, but we make the best out of it. No, Good. he's been snagged in the supply chain well, issue too. Yeah. Who hasn't, right? But, I, but uh, the positive attitude you have about it, I like that. Absolutely. We're making the best of it, doing what we can. That's yeah. that's all you can do right yeah, now. That's I where think. we're all at, yeah. right? Yeah. So, all right, well, let's get in this discussion yeah. about smart cities. Um, and, and again, this idea of the whole smart city, it's been discussed for most of this century, mm -hmm. I'd say so mm -hmm. far. But it all still feels very nebulous, very mm. futuristic. Like, again, yes. as we were talking about up front, what does it even really mean? Right. What, what defines whether a city is uh -huh. smart? Uh -huh. and before I let, you know, I let Charlie kind of help us explain where we are right now, there was an interesting story I read. And again, I'll, oh, there's a lot of stuff I'm going to link in the show notes. There's some really interesting articles I came across. One in particular was a Toronto who had a, yes. a project um, in the works with uh, Amazon Sidewalk Labs. Right. This whole uh, sector. No, it was Alphabet. To, or, I thought it was like a Alphabet. You're right. Yes, you're right. Google. My bad. Yeah, it was a Google word. My bad. And this whole like waterfront, uh, high tech neighborhood oh. called Quayside. Yeah, they were it was going to be together. Oh, you know, the smartest of smart yeah, cities. Check yes. out the the link and, and just even just look at the pictures. You know, and their their vision of what it was supposed to look like. All this cool green space. It was what you think of when you think of the idea of a smart city mm. and a modernized high tech neighborhood. Well, they ended up scrapping that. And a big part of it was Ooh. the data collection angle. <laughs> Because Canada especially is, you know, a little more in tune than a lot of other places, yes. especially more than the U.S. Right. On, you know, uh, safeguarding data and protecting privacy of its citizens. Hmm. And essentially, <laughs> it's funny, you'll have to read the um, the quote from, I guess, from Google or from whoever the project manager was, kind of their, their way of saying, uh, you know, well, we had to back off this project for various reasons. And the uh, the article on Surface said basically, too long didn't read. They wouldn't let us mine, data mine an entire city for advertising, so we bailed. <laughs> 
So that's kind of their way of that's suggesting. That's the synopsis. That's, yes. the, that's the reason why this didn't happen. I got so, you. I got you. So, Charlie, help us out of here. Tell us, you know, why is the whole smart city movement kind of seem like it's kind of slowed to a crawl? What's holding back these advancements? Is it just the, the data and the privacy thing? What else is going on right now? Well, John, um, you pretty much hit the nail right on the head. Data privacy is definitely going to be one of the bigger concerns. And during our discussion, I got some points I want to um, try to come across, not to be too scary, but um, those are what is concerning. But another thing that you said about earlier, like what happened in the past two years? Well, what happened to the past two years to everybody on this planet? The pandemic. Everybody is staying at home. Nobody's going anywhere. And since nobody's going anywhere, then therefore a lot of infrastructure, although I know there's a lot of um, highway constructions around the neck of wood that I live at, a lot of um, basic infrastructure stuff are being done. But as far as the smart city stuff goes, if nobody's there to use it, then the demand for the smart city is really not there. And therefore that's why my take is why it take a little bit of a backseat, but since we're now returning back to the normal, hopefully, so in this case, I do see that um, the um, smart city is going to start to pick up. Not to mention that from my perspective, I think some of the stuff as far as smart city that is already happening, we just don't really feel it in our day-to-day life. Um, some of the good example that I can give you is um, like, uh, for example, um, smart electric meters. Most of our houses now have it. Um, the, that doesn't require manual labor to come out to read your meter it feeds those data directly bear to back to the power company uh, when you go to some of the uh parking structures or if you're driving on a tow road uh, it used to be that you need to have a transponder in your car and right now they have the camera installed as part of a vision ai now can rec- actually recognize your license plate so they charge you based on the license plate that you drove through and contact you based on that um, some of the other things that you can see as happening in the background, such as like a waste management, such as water, um, sewer, um, clean up, those type of things, like measuring the temperature, measuring the um, um, contaminants, all those are happening in the background. It's, it's underneath us, it's happening around us, but it's not something that we feel day to day is not something that we can pick up our smart device and actually use the app and interact with. So that's why people are feeling, okay, the smart city is not there yet, but my take is it is happening. It's just not something that we feel based on our day-to-day life. That's a really good point. So it's not like a a knitted together smart city per se, if you will, right? Like like what Toronto is going to build literally from the ground up, where it was just the smart city from everything from heated sidewalks to whatever. Uh, That's a really good point, Charlie, that really we kind of are living in some aspects of a smart city. I mean, in the opener, I was saying, you know, we live in a dumb city. But no, (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of technology. Yes, I've got the smart meter, right, right, thing that's going there. And in fact, when you look at it, you know, there are certain areas. Energy is one of those areas where cities are getting smarter, right? Water, wastewater um, a type of thing. So these are like just good old traditional city uh, services, I right, guess, right? right? Policing, telecommunications. These are some of the things that are getting smarter, to use the right, air quotes right. around it. Um, but I don't know if that means, you know, that everybody's going to have d- drone delivery service <laughs> as a city function, right? right and that right. would be a smart city. Uh, that takes a lot of knitting to, to to make that happen, and there's there's a lot of issues I think that you know trying to pull down pull together what I would call an aggregate smart city, right? right? So right. there's pockets pockets of smartness, but an aggregate uh, one. It was interesting because I, I came across a, uh, a survey, and it, they talked to 50 city leaders about some of the challenges of they they're seeing in mm-hmm. implementing a smart city. And what would you think are some of the top things? Well, a solution requires multiple departments to align. <laughs> That's really hard to do in a yeah. government, right? That's 70, hard to do in a single business, let alone an it's entire It's hard to do in a family. Government. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right? <laughs> 74% of people uh, of respondents said that. Progress yep. is slow 
ruled by elections or other political cycles. Yeah. See, there's this whole Funding po- gets changed, people and yeah, politics element of it. Yep. Not to mention the privacy concerns that we, you know, so the data uh, is one, not only on the privacy, but also city systems don't talk to one another. Uh, that's 32% of the respondents said that's an issue. So it's a really complex issue, right? right? When you start diving into what a smart city is. And I think to Charlie's point, how that's manifesting itself is just this par- pockets of smartness, but I don't know that we're knitting it all together. No, I no I, I, I'm with you. And, and to your point, you know, I think our VARs can relate to this one. Anytime oh, they have yeah. any kind of project mm. they're working on, again, whether it's a single business or, you know, maybe they've got multiple locations or something, there's all these people you have to get on board, all the different departments mm. you got to work with. But again, you amplify that by, you know, I don't know, 10,000, maybe even a million when you get into government and especially when you get into an entire city with all <laughs> kinds of different people, all kinds of different departments. And I think what this comes down to is I feel like the the talks that we've had about smart city over the last 20 years or so, we often think of it and kind of picture it in our brains as like some futuristic looking city. Something yes, you would see in I a see. science fiction yes, film. Like, right. You know, where there's automated a, transportation. Yeah, exactly. Everything's automated. You know, everything's, you know, we always, we used to joke about Minority Report, our, you know, unofficial mm-hmm. mo- film you know, of yes. the podcast. Oh, yes, that's right. And it was always, it was filled up with all kinds of cool technology in different places that were like, hey, that's that stuff's neat. And I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of this idea. But mm. to Charlie's point, I'm glad he referenced this, is this idea that, it's a lot of little steps. Yeah. There's little bits and chunks of things mm-hmm. you got to do that over mm-hmm. time start building out what eventually is a smart city. It's not mm-hmm. going to look that way that we think. It's not going to be like this Toronto project where someone's literally trying to build from the ground up something that is high tech from top to bottom all the way through. And I think maybe that's the problem is maybe people need to start backing away from this idea that we're going to just completely build futuristic cities in some way and mm-hmm. understand like, hey, there's an existing infrastructure that we have to build stuff into over time, and mm-hmm. eventually it will get us to where we want to be in that futuristic city that we're talking about but here. But isn't so. it interesting that Toronto pushed back, and oh, by the way, how did they not see this coming down the road with Alphabet <laughs> I, being I like the main funding whatever yeah. mechanism? Of course they're going to mine the data. That's what people push back <laughs> on. It's like, oh, we don't want this to be the smart overlord right, city, right, right, right. Where, where the government knows everything yeah. that's going on uh, type of a thing. Exactly. All right, so then let's let's talk about the the technology behind smart cities here. Uh, and, and there's really two main concepts, and this is where I want you to really help us out here, Charlie, to kind of flesh these out. Machine vision and machine learning, which, you know, kind of sort of sound the same. Maybe people don't quite understand the difference. Help us understand how you differentiate between these two and, and again, how they both enable the smart city. Okay. So um, before I go into the difference between the two, just to um, kind of um, give some, lay some background to it, is that Smart city, from my perspective, is um, machine vision is one of it. Machine learning is one of it. And machine learning actually deal with more than the machine vision because now you have a lot of data that are collected by sensors, like temperature sensors, vibration sensors, um, alignment sensors, for example. And that's not necessarily something had to do with the machine vision, but it's still part of a smart city function. But specifically with some machine vision, we need to go back and take a really quick, quick at them how AI is actually working. So starting from the data collection bit, which is what the machine vision actually is doing, is collecting all, all sorts of different vision data, like the shape of the uh, different items, um, condition of different situations, and so on and so forth, because those are part of a data collection. And once those data are collected, then based on the... Based on the um, those data, then you can start doing some pre-trained models or create some pre-trained models that's designed to do certain type of uh, AI action. For example, um, traffic monitoring, traffic control, facial recognition, if you will, um, and all those ties into part of a smart city function. So now, of course, the whole AI is kind of like continuous learning process. So it's not going to stop and say, okay, I now have the model, it's good to go, and just follow the model, No, nothing is going to be of any issue. That's pretty much the furthest thing from the truth because we see Tesla running into a wall because it doesn't recognize what a wall is. Right? So in this case, the vision data needs to be continuously updated. That's where the machine learning comes in. 
So now you have on the um, on the on the front or the edge side. Now you have the machine vision. That's the machine that is, has multiple camera connected to do various different type of um, application. Um, for example, um, the autonomous vehicle is one. Um, traffic control is another one, and just security monitoring is another possible cases. And all those we have some use case around the globe where they're using our computer connecting to um, different cameras, running different AI models and doing different things. Now, those data can sometimes be wrong. Like if it recognizes something that it never seen before, um, doesn't know what to do with it, then those goes back into the machine learning part. The machine learning part is to collect those new additional data to help do the data analysis, to allow the um, um, the pre-trained model or the model um, designer to continue to refine that model to include all those new bits. And therefore it allows the, um, the uh, company who created those AI models to further refine and make those uh, models more accurate. Then we can avoid time avoid more or less like having Tesla running into a steel vehicle or, or I've seen something similar to that um, fashion. So those type of things can now be avoided because now you have new data is coming in. And these are going to be very important things as we move forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, going back to the machine vision part, and we've talked a little bit about that. And obviously our understanding of machine vision and how it's being utilized is really important. But maybe this is a good time to kind of step into the data aspect of it, right? Right. <laughs> like the personally identifiable data, that that's an issue. And mm -hmm. I think that some of these people in Toronto were recognizing that, right, as, as a component of, hey, what's going on here? So, and, and, and Charlie, maybe your take here, you know, I think the industry is already getting savvy, at least here in North America, around people's desire to have non-personally identifiable right. information when it comes to these aggregate things such as, you know, people monitoring or your crowd control or things of that nature, right. which, which a smart city would want, right? I mean, we want smart traffic lights so that if, you know, so that it can it can think smartly about how to get move cars faster <laughs> through a system or something like that, but we don't want it to be personally identifiable. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that that's really going to create this this interesting world as it relates back to the machine vision, the AI that's going on, uh, and and the ability for the programmers to develop these types of things and, and keep that off to the side. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, and you know, to your earlier <coughs> joke about you know the whole Google <coughs> Sidewalk Labs thing or whatever, this right. idea that like yeah. You, you relied on a company whose primary way of making money is data brokering, essentially. Exactly. Collecting data, advertising, you know, like, and, and feeding ads to the right people. Behavior information. Exactly. You yeah. kind of had to expect that was something they were going to want to get out of this deal. <laughs> and I think there's an important lesson there, you know, uh -huh. for our VARs or for anybody who wants to work in these particular situations to make mm -hmm. sure that your partners kind of have a plan in place for data privacy and security because this stuff's going to come up you know these these use cases and these these situations like this as they keep recurring and the word gets out anytime you're approaching somebody about this situation yep. either either they're not going to care in which case you kind of might want to worry about that too or they're going to be very concerned about this privacy angle and they're going to be asking you how are you going to adjust for that or that's what, right what kind of data are you going to collect that's what right. are you going to do with the data that that's you right. collect yeah so it's a good i mean point. it's going to be it's it's not it's more than a talking point it can right. be a deal killer it, right exactly. if, if it's not addressed very soon on and i agree with charlie in the sense that you know machine vision is going to be critical for these smart cities to continue to develop because just because of the way AI is going and right, how, it's, how right. it's developing, but we really got to get our heads around that and, and be cognizant of yep, it. Yep, uh, exactly. Yeah. Now, Charlie, you you referenced traffic management. And I want to kind of mm. get into some of maybe the the specific angles of technology that you know could be the the smart cities right. of the future kind gotcha. of thing. Yeah. The stuff that that actually is practical beyond. You and know, this is practical, if yeah, you ask me. Very exactly. practical. So maybe places where our VARs could see opportunities in the future. So let's let's start with uh, traffic management here. And especially again, you mentioned autonomous vehicles are taking to the road. They're going to keep growing. We, you know, we this is not going to go away anytime mm -hmm. soon. Yeah, um, it's not going to go away. Let's just put it that way. Like we know, the future is is you know electric. The future is autonomous vehicles in some way or another. How does that How does that work with the the cities of the future? What um, you know, what's going to happen as these vehicles take the road? What does traffic management of the future look like? Where you know, what kind of technology is going to need to be in place to make that happen? 
every time someone talks about traffic management for some weird reason, the first thing pops through my mind was one of the older movie called um, Demolition Man or the newer movie called iRobot. Okay. Yeah, 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 right. Yep. They all have an autonomous vehicle. All you have to do is sit in there and will drive you to the place that, you, that you're going. You don't need to do any control. Um, in the sense that if that being the case, then would it be easier to use a more so of a public transportation type of approach instead of individual transportation that becomes a um, personal liberty versus um, like um, efficiency, those type, those type of comparison. But when we look at um, traffic management these days, we're thinking, um, from, from my take, I think about a few different things. One is how to manage the traffic that we have today. And then moving on to how to improve it. And then also how do we improve the public transportation, maybe moving on in the future. And there are, go they, that's going kind of back to what um, both um, John and Dean that you have talked about earlier in regards to personal data, how happy people are being um, about those data being collected from them. So in this case, um, let's take, let's starting from regular standard traffic that we have today, autonomous, ve autonomous vehicle that's going on. Um, we are looking at, um, say different things like, for example, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the hazard that we have on the road, um, those are going to be the part of a pre-trained model. Um, we're going to also try to uh, identify different type of vehicles and different type of um, um, objects on the road. So um, that can be synchronized with the autonomous vehicle. So the vehicle itself needs to now connect it to a bigger network, if you will, in order to make sure that um, those vehicle has the most updated information and they can avert traffic accidents they can identify different um, items on the road. That's another one of the things that needs to happen in order for the autonomous vehicle to work or function more flawlessly. Then there's also the um, traffic management part where now we're looking at uh, machine vision to help identify the traffic pattern, um, how to resolve that traffic pattern if it starts to uh, clog up and um, just how to manage the signal lights to improve the general efficiency because autonomous, autonomous vehicle, although sounds great, but um, not everybody's having it. Most of us are still driving the regular um, gasoline power vehicle. So that will be something that's um, not gonna change at least not within the next decade or so. So in this case, those are the things that needs to happen, meaning a lot more edge computing, a lot more camera related, connected to the edge computing. And then finally, we talk about the public transportation. Um, like, uh, for example, one of the um, possible scenario is you can go into a um, train station, bus station, and you can pay fare by simply facial recognition. So you are there and you enter this um, subway car, or you enter into this bus at this time, um, you are moving from one location to the other location, and then your fare are being collected based on how many stations you have moved. And though those can actually be done by facial recognition, but is the law um, allowing this? Is the personal privacy concern allowing this? That's another aspect that um, people are concerning. Um, now going back to like a, how you drive on the road, um, going back to how intrusive um, public can actually accept. We now have um, like, uh, for example, now in order for that to happen, maybe every car needs to equip with some kind of a GPS um, communication. And you might want to let out some of the uh, control of your vehicle, like, um, are you allowing someone to take over your vehicle in order to avert an accident that's happening ahead? So that goes back to how much control, how much privacy you're willing to give up in order to make a more autonomous um, society that's based on uh, 
machine AI and AI vision. Really interesting. I mean, when you think about some of those aspects, right, it, it pulls in those, that human factor. Yeah, we're still with you, Charlie. So, um, you know, it, it, when you take a look at it, how much control do I want to give up? I can kind of see a world where, okay, maybe if I'm getting on a highway, you know, there are certain right. zones, if you will, within a city that, hey, if you're going to drive here, like you got to give up your kind of thing. But yeah. I can see that being kind of an issue. Like if I get out into the wherever, I want to drive my car, right? right? Or at least right. today, that's where right. people are going to be. I can't imagine somebody from wherever, somewhere not in an urban setting saying, right. what right. do you mean you're going to drive my car for me? Uh, kind of a thing. So that really does pull in some of that. But as, as Charlie was talking, I was thinking to myself, this is like the ultimate asset management. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a car, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's an asset. It would be managing that. But uh, but in all seriousness, to your point, Charlie, I mean, it is going to take edge compute in order to run these types of things. And so, you know, as we talk to our resellers, of course, they're using edge compute and AI uh, in warehouse settings and transportation logistics settings. But I can see this starting to creep in. You know, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, you think about smart cities and get really excited about it. Then you're like, oh, man. I mean, just the whole driving thing. How, how would hurdles. we manage yeah. traffic? That yeah. would be really yeah. difficult to not make everybody mad, piss right, everybody right. off, you know, that, yeah. oh, hey, we're going to take control of your car. No, yeah. you're not taking What? You know, I, right? I, <laughs> yeah. I can just see that happening. So maybe that's a little bit down the road, but there are some aspects right. of it. Maybe there could be. I don't well, know. Well, you know, Charlie referenced uh, iRobot, for instance. And whenever yeah. I see these sci-fi films that show, like, the highways of the future, mm. and it's like a 16-lane highway with, like, thousands of cars moving at super high speeds, you know, <laughs> and they're high-tech futuristic vehicles. They all yeah. kind of look the same. And I look at that and go, you do understand we live, especially in the U.S., this is a kind of a car culture kind of environment. Well, like, you go out to L.A., everyone's proud of their different vehicles. Yes, they're used to driving them. right. I, like, you not, you're not even just the hurdle of trying to figure out how to manage traffic flow like that, uh -huh. which is its own nightmare. Right. But how do you break the, the instinct for everyone to have their own individual vehicles? Well, I already got the plan. You oh, know, you do? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, so the, the cars of the future are going to fly, aren't they? So anything that flies is going to have to be in this <laughs> world that Charlie was just painting where it's got to be, you know, you got to be synced up right, to the master right, thing. Right. Oh, if you want to do the old style driving with, on those dirt roads that we're not protecting anymore, right. all right, you can do that. All right, old. Dean, let's, let's maybe figure out the whole traffic management, local driving autonomous <laughs> vehicle thing first before we even remotely consider <laughs> flying cars. Fair enough. We got some, we got some time before we get there. All right. right. So, yeah, all right. Well, hey, you you mentioned asset management just yes. a moment ago. Yeah, though. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think that's an important part of um, uh, of city planning and smart city planning for the future. So, so Charlie, help us out here for resource management, um, asset management. How does machine vision and the, the machine vision and the learning help city managers to allocate their resources properly? So. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of um, especially related resource, um, a lot of those are done with sensors that's um, in different places. So it may not be specifically machine vision, but um, computers and also sensors, part of the um, AI learning network is still there. Though we need to look at what are considered utilities, right? So now we have um, power, water, uh, fuel delivery. Um, we have um, um, on the public space access, like uh, parking um, accessibility and also recreational area. Like when you go onto the beach, go onto the park, um, it's a hot sunny day and um, a lot of people want to congregate at the beach. Um, is there too many people at the beach or those like um, crowd management type of um, situation? All those are going into um, resource management for the city and the city manager creating events needs to take the, all those things into consideration. So um, as I mentioned, those things are like, uh, when we look at um, managing the water delivery, okay, managing the fuel delivery, managing the power, or um, like um, the waste management, how do, you, how do you take care of the trash? Um, how do you um, clean up the clean up the sewer, sewer like a sewer treatment plant? All those things are being currently managed by the computer, controlled by the computer. So there are data being collected. Um, it may not be vision related, but it certainly some of them certainly could be. So, like uh, for example, um, 
cameras looking at um, the parking spaces to figure out what parking spaces are available. Um, but that may be easier doing with sensors. So in this case, can those be managed by a smart network? It certainly could be. Let's take a look at parking management, probably the easiest one to um, tackle. So um, like in the Eventech headquarter over in Taiwan, you're going into the headquarter. It has that license plate recognition right at the gate. And since you are a visitor, Dean, you're a visitor John to Eventech, you will be greeted with a message, welcome to Eventech Dean, welcome to Eventech John, right on the display. And it will tell you, please park your vehicle at um, parking space B B3, for example, because there is already a parking space reserved for you. Um, that can extend to a public, um, like a public resource type. So how many of us had that experience? We go to a popular tourist destination and you drive your car around and around the block and just cannot figure out where is a parking space. And lo and behold, you found one, but somebody cut in front of you and snatched that parking space away. I mean, some serious road rage sometimes span from that. That's right. That's so you're right. telling me smart city technology can cure road rage? Because I'm all for that. <laughs> That goes into how, like I said, that goes into how much um, control you're allowing your um, government to have on you. Um, back back in the earlier tra uh, traffic management session, I talk about what if you have GPS, um, you have like a GPS controller in the vehicle, very accurate one, and you actually allow them to drive your car for you. That kind of avoid them having to control your car. That kind of avoid having to uh, deal with other people because everything's well managed. And we go right back into iRobot, uh, the management type of society. Everything's well managed for you. Don't have to do anything, but is that something people want? And going back to this one, can this be done? Sure. You have your GPS locator in your vehicle. And then you actually have some kind of um, barrier, if you will, on the parking spot. So when you're assigned to that parking spot, then your vehicle will be identified and only your vehicle will be allowed to park into the parking spot. Even some, if some other cars swing by and see, oh, there's a parking space. I want to take that. But there is already something preventing them from doing it. But then again, that goes right back to, are those type of the control that we are willing to give to our government for the convenience of our life? There you go. Yeah. Interesting question there. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe we'll get down to the parking level uh, right. kind of. I kind of like yeah, that idea. I, like, I do kind of like that idea. I think I I'm okay with that one. You I'm know? Driving yeah. around the mall and somebody, but if it could thwart that person from right, you know right. taking that spot, yeah. But but the end, the, it is highly inefficient driving into an airport or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you got to spend whatever, 10, 15 minutes trying to find the parking spots. Man, there are obviously some good that could come out of a smart yeah. city like that. And, but on the machine vision side, for sure. Right. If we can people count, we can car count just like we're doing, just like they're doing right now with license plate recognition and and car counting and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I want to take a quick second to kind of note the um, the wastewater research and, and, and you know, pay attention to mm -hmm. what's happening in waste, because this is a topic I've kind of been paying attention to over the last couple of years. I heard it come up, you know, during obviously the height of the pandemic mm -hmm. as a way that, you know, that uh, researchers and government officials could start keeping an eye on where potential spikes were going to happen, because yep. apparently, you know, if you're testing waste water on a regular basis, yep. you can potentially identify, you know, where something's happening in the waste, you know, where you, you can pick mm -hmm. up on, you know, viruses, you can pick up on certain bacterium or whatever, mm -hmm. and identify, all right, there's, you know, a growth of this virus and bacteria starting to occur in the wastewater of this particular area, a pandemic spike, you know, or a spike in certain illnesses or whatever is expected to follow because you tend to see that before the actual symptoms start occurring and the breakout starts happening. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and recently enough, actually, this is happening again in New York where they've noted, they've started noting polio mm -hmm. in wastewater, which is terrifying in its own right. They're right. Like, thought yeah. polio was not yeah. a thing really yeah, anymore, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but apparently like, you know, that's again, something they've identified in wastewater and have advised officials to start, you know, paying attention and maybe, you know, ramping up some, some booster, you know, programs or whatever as needed in order to combat this. 
And I just, that's one of those, again, tiny little aspects of the smart city mm. that I think we should pay more attention to and understand like where that can fit in because it's a little well, stuff that can just improve our lives. But to Jolly's point, though, it's going to take some mental it is. Uh, changing, right. too, because, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, well, the overlord uh, would go in and say, <laughs> well, you know, the insurance companies could say, well, this neighborhood is not as healthy Right. You know, as this Do neighborhood we, yeah. over here. So yep. your insurance rates are going and, up. And let's be honest, inequalities will, you know, be ramp right? up and occur in a yeah, lot of places. It's like, what? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 I get yeah. It's funny because, you know, there are many situations, I think, in society and in human life where we willfully give over any sense of privacy without mm -hmm. even thinking about it right. until we're forced to think about it for some reason. <laughs> when a data breach occurs or when a news report comes yeah. out and yeah. you realize what had actually been done. And you, you again... The same people who will go on Facebook and post millions of pictures of every facet of their lives mm -hmm. and talk nonstop about everything they do every single day yeah, right. are also the people that will scream, "Don't you dare get you know yeah. take my picture as I'm walking yeah. down a sidewalk somewhere." Interesting you know? stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Interesting. And, and and that actually I think kind of does blend into our final yeah. well, topic here: yeah. mm -hmm. uh, the idea of public safety. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, there's a lot of opportunity to make first responder technology smarter, but I do think this is also another place where people get very concerned about privacy mm -hmm, issues. Mm -hmm. I know we talked about that. We had an episode about facial recognition, about you know how law enforcement's using that. You've yep. heard these stories about the ring cameras on yep. people's door, you know, uh, doorbell cameras or whatever. And police that, asking for that. Yeah, yeah police that, have been mm -hmm, asking yep. for that information. It's been handed over without even you know asking the owner necessarily. Mm -hmm. So Charlie, from your perspective, talk about public safety. You know, where does where does this new smarter technology fit in? And 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 also again, where are there still privacy concerns? I guess when we talk about public safety and how the um, AI, um, vision AI can be used for those applications, I kind of just have to brush the privacy aside to think about um, if everything is in the perfect world, nobody's going to be using those data for um, um, like a malfeasance intent or anything like that, then in this case, then actually a lot of things can be done with vision AI. Like, for example, starting with facial recognition, um, are we able to utilize that to identify potential troublemakers? That's one of, the, one of the possibility that we can use. Um, then we can also use the vision AI to, going back to the pre-trained model on how AI is supposed to work, right? So we can identify, okay, what looks like a car wreck, what looks like a um, car fire, what looks like building fire. And when we have those data building in, then we can actually use vision AI, machine machine vision AI to kind of um, identify and alert the first responder. Doesn't matter if it's law enforcement, doesn't matter if it's EMS or um, fire department. So they can be on their way even before someone pick up their phone and dial 911 and try to report what's going on. And those data, since it's now everything's um, live feeded. So it can actually be data streamed to the terminal, like a, like a um, tablet PC of some sort that's installed in those um, first responders vehicle. So they can kind of, especially if it was a, um, like a big fire, the building fire, so to speak. So as they are approaching to the scene, some of the uh, members of the, uh, Fire department can already be reviewing that and try to figure out okay where are where are the nearest fire hydrants um, so they can immediately get on it and have a, a plan to attack to take care of the situation before they arrive to the scene. So that can save time. That can help save life. But now I'm pulling back that privacy part. How willing people are well to well, how willing people are um, accepting those? Okay, was okay. Um, their their face being recognized. Um, are they happy with their face are being in database? I mean, to be honest, I'm pretty sure every one of our faces already in some kind of database. You have a Facebook account. If you have a um, Instagram account, your name your your name associated with your face is probably somewhere in the database, but we're not talking about government controlling of, of that database. Then in that case, um, we wanna make sure that government can actually be very secure about our data. 
not really giving them too much credit over here. And then we are also want to um, assume that government will be very um, honest and um, not doing anything bad with the data. Once again, I don't have much faith over here. So that's, that's where the concern is coming from. From, from good intention standpoint, technology is wonderful. It can do a lot of things. It requires a lot of taxpayers' money because when you were talking about in, implementing all those cameras, all those machines into the place to collect those data, it's a lot of money right out of our pocket. And then there's the data privacy concern. So when we combine those together, then we go back to the very early question, why is not happening fast enough? Yes. It's a lot of money that's not generating more money and how willing we're, we how willing we are to give up those information to the government. But public Great safety point. is that is when you look at the surveys, public safety is the one that ranks high. Yeah. Uh, and where would technology go into smart cities specifically? Right. Technology to to what is the priority? Again, you know, public safety being number one. And I think Charlie tapped on a couple great examples, whether it's fire, whether it's mm -hmm. an accident. Mm -hmm. I mean, who would say no to do you want the EMS there faster or do you want <laughs> right, to wait right. on this old phone and somebody actually <laughs> dialing 911 and, right. you know, right? No, you want somebody there like now yeah. uh, type of yeah. a thing. So, uh, yeah, I can see that why those priorities are much higher and probably likely to get funding, you know, to a certain degree uh, for smart city, quote unquote, yeah. technologies. Yeah. 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 And I can tell you, uh, anytime we have done any kind of marketing campaign around first responder technology, whether mm. it is mm -hmm. police, fire, EMS, and a, and a wide swath of technologies from asset management to, you know, to you know, um, incident response, yeah. anything like that. Right. Those campaigns have done very, very well. Yeah. That is a market that, you know, and I'm kind of tipping a little value to the VAR here ahead of time. Mm. That is very, very much a market that is interested in trying out and testing new technology and finding better ways to do their job. So if you're looking for potential opportunities for some of the tech that you sell every day in a lot of other markets, if you haven't already, reach out to some of these, these yeah. first responders. Right. Again, I know, you know, no one likes to mess with the government side of things. There's like, oh, it's gonna be slow and there's opportunity. And, yeah, all right. But don't, don't let that get yeah, don't let mm -hmm. that get in the way of your opportunity yeah. there. So fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, as I mentioned, um, we are gonna add a little value to the bar here about maybe where you can fit <laughs> into the smart city discussion. Uh, before we do that, I want to, as always, thank our Tech Connect members, those who sponsor the Tech Connect program, the podcast in general. Of course, thanks to Advantech for sponsoring this podcast and lending us Charlie today. Uh, and as always, if you uh, like the show, if you like what you've heard today, you have some thoughts about the topic. Give us a rating. Give us a rating. Give us a review, whether you're on YouTube, hit like, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any platform, if there's any option for you to leave some kind of a rating or review, please do so. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you think about the show. Uh, if you have thoughts on topics, if you're listening to this topic and saying, I want to learn a little bit more about that first responder yeah, technology, right, for exactly. example, mm -hmm. uh, there's always a link in the show notes that you can find to get, submit topics to mm -hmm. the show. Um, just some recommendations of what you'd like to hear about. And honestly, I'm, I'm open to anything that we hear about. We, we had a great swath of them maybe, I don't know, mm -hmm. six or so months ago, mm -hmm. some of which we have used to bake some episodes out to, that we've done so far. Uh, but I, we want to hear from you. And just for doing so, whether we use your idea or not, we're going to send you a T-shirt. A free gift. A free gift. That you, you can a, either use, give it to a friend. I yeah, mean, you know, it's great. Tech Connect Podcast T-shirt. We'll send you one just for submitting a topic to us. That's, that's it. All you got to do. Go type a little few things in, you know, give us even a remotely interesting suggestion and we will send a t-shirt to you. There you go. Whether we do it or not. And as always, if you want to stay in touch with us, you can always find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod. You can also email us techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap up with our recurring segments. First of all, let's talk about the value to the VAR here mm -hmm. because... Again, we've had a great conversation about all the places where smart city technology could happen, mm -hmm. uh, places it could potentially be implemented, what is and isn't happening, whether things are moving fast enough or slow enough. So I imagine, Charlie, there's a lot of our VARs that are listening right now that are saying, all right, where do I fit into this whole discussion? Uh, who do you think they should be talking to? What should they be keeping an eye on? What should a, you know, just a run-of-the-mill VAR be doing right now to at least stay abreast of what might happen next in smart city technology? Um, looking at VARs, the way I look at it is that they are the one who knows the market. Um, they are also the ones that knows the connection. Because mainly when we are talking about smart city, it's all about connection. Um, who do you know in the government? 
that are driving these type of changes? Um, where do um, are they funded? Do they do they already have the uh, voter approved referendum of some sort to give them funding to um, start these projects? And that's where they are going to find those opportunities. That's where they can bring those opportunities to um, Blue Star and to to us, so we can kind of put together some kind of a solution that's suitable for the application at hand, at least from the uh, computer technology standpoint, and maybe working with some of our um, some of our system in integrators or some of our um, partners that can provide the software solution to that part to combine as a full and ready solution that's ready to go in there and try to um, solve the problem, if you will, because it's not going to be just the computer itself. It's not just going to be the sensor itself. It's not just going to be the software itself. It's going to be a combination thereof into complete the entire network. And that's where VAR comes in is they are adding the value of bringing those opportunities and probably know the market. And maybe they know some of the players that's locally that can do the integration and we can be introduced to them to um, expand our partner list. Um, so I do see that they have a great value here. Yeah, relationships, right, are always good to leverage. Uh, and I'll throw a couple more things and kind of pick up on what Charlie was saying there. You know, as I read in the survey, a solution requires multiple departments to align. So if you know that going into one of these situations, mm -hmm. talk to them. You know, don't don't go to talk to the waterworks department. Think that you've got a perfect solution, right, right. but you don't have the mayor's office involved. Right. You don't have the other people that are going to be in the decision making process. Right. There's yep. all these departments that may have to have a say in it. Know that going into it and, and embrace that. Uh, and do that. Also, lead with SaaS type of solutions. Yeah. I mean, when you have these recurring solutions, you kind of thwart the procurement cycle that a government usually goes through, right? right I mean, right. oh, we're, we're procured on this, and this project has been approved. But once it sunsets, you know, it might be another politician in later. Right, it might right. go away. But if you have recurring, it's like it turns into the operational expense yep. of doing the city, yep. right? And so, and by the way, that helps you out a lot to be more nimble on including more newer solutions and stuff like that. If you're just updating software or replacing cameras with better vision or whatever it may be down the line, uh, it, it'd help you there. So SaaS yeah. models are, are, I think, are, are a good key thing too. Yeah, I was going to say thoughts? something very similar. And I, it goes back to when we were talking very early on about machine vision and learning the differences mm. and contrast and comparison between them. And Charlie mentioned this idea of the fact that you're, you're constantly gaining new data. You're, mm -hmm. you're always looking to keep feeding new data in in order to keep improving, in order to keep um, to, to make the machine learning part of things better and smarter so that it starts operating more efficiently and, and figures out how to you know, solve for little problems as it goes along. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that all feeds into this whole SaaS opportunity of, especially if you're working with some kind of a partner who is really good at like the software analytics data piece of things mm. that can go in and say, hey, yep. this is not a, this is not a, we're just going to go collect some data and then hand you a solution for your, you know, whatever this is, for mm -hmm. whatever aspect of your, you know, your smart city smart you're parking trying to do. Or whatever it yeah, is. like mm -hmm. it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all, one-time-only sort of thing. There's going to be constant adjustments because, again, human humanity doesn't operate under, you know, we do the same exact single thing all the time and never make any changes and never, mm -hmm. nothing ever, you know, the, the ebb and flow doesn't change at all. So if, if, you know, if that's the case, parking being a perfect example, maybe for some reason, whereas most days, there were a thousand cars that were regularly needing to park in this certain area, but suddenly, because of uh, a new office building that opens up, a, uh, a, mm -hmm. a new you know venue for entertainment opens up, now it's two thousand cars a day. Mm -hmm. You can't have just created a you know done the data and said, all right, here's what you need in order to implement a strategy for a thousand cars a day. The end. Bye bye. It's you know working with partners that are going to keep on evaluating that data and ideally have seen that trend happening. Like, hey, we noticed this is starting to pick up. We've noticed this entertainment venue is going to be opened in six months. We know for a fact from other projects that you're going to start seeing a lot more cars, a lot more mm -hmm. parking. Mm -hmm. Let's start adjusting as we go along for that. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, again, it's that opportunity to, to, to be a that valued partner that stays ahead of the curve a little bit 
and helps identify, you know, future changes and opportunities. And I think that SaaS model is what's really going to help do yep. that. And so. the partnering, right? All three exactly. of us tapped it, in on that. There, so. you, go. there all, you go. All of us working together, one happy channel, just like always. So. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Hey, let's wrap things up, as always, with our favorite segment, What's Tech Connecting With You? This is where we get to talk about something in the world yes. of science, tech, innovation, yep. business, yep. something that's caught our eye, got our attention. Dean, I'm going to let you kick off this week. What's Sweet. Tech Connecting With You right now? All right. Here's my question to you. Okay. How much radiation is your cell? smartphone emitting uh probably more than i'd care to <laughs> learn but i guess i'm gonna find out that here was, that was a little grabber for me i'm like oh you know i haven't thought about that in a while well okay so the parameter used to measuring phone radiation emissions is the specific absorption rate or sar uh, it's a unit of measurement represented by quantity of electromagnetic energy absorbed into the body when using a mobile device. Okay, so uh, the Council of European Union has set the radiation standard for two watts per kilogram of tissue, I guess, you know, or okay, uh, of okay. mass, if you yeah, will. Okay. okay, so do you have, and I hate to call out the manufacturers here, but if you have a Motorola Edge cell phone, uh, it's 1.79, so not quite at the 2 watt. None of them are at that 2 so watt, So 2 is the max, you're saying? 2 is the, like the maximum. max. Okay. is the comfortable max that they have determined that this European Council has, has determined to be okay. the, the upper limit. You don't really want to go above that. Right, right. Uh, as far as safe radiation levels. I still radiate, I don't know if anything is safe radiation <laughs> levels. Uh, but, you know, so if you have that particular phone, you might want to think about getting a different one uh, some of the better ones are like a google pixel phone uh does pretty good the lowest levels uh you get into like the samsung galaxies hmm. are, are, are some of those huawei has you know pretty low sony lg um, you know, those are some of the, the ones right, that are We're kind Apple of the, guys. Where do we're those Apple fall? guys. Uh, we are just about in the middle, 0.99. Okay, so, okay. you know, that's where the iPhone, that's where the 13 Pro's coming in at. The 12 is about 0.98. So about middle of the road. So just I think you're fine. A medium amount of brain scrambling going on. Medium amount of, of <laughs> yes, scrambling, burning, whatever, you know, whatever micro. Is, yeah, exactly. So gotcha. anyway, I, I just tripped upon that. I'm like, ooh, there you is know, a, um, hope this isn't, doesn't turn out bad. Yeah, there's a, there's a grandfather or an uncle or somebody who lives off the grid somewhere that's sitting there saying, see, I told you so. I told you all these kids walking around with these phones. You're zapping your brains. Zapping your brains. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so right. that's what's tech connecting okay. with me. Yeah. All right. Charlie, what about you? What's tech connecting with you this week? Um, it's more so of uh, how little I use my how little I, I use my TV now these days. Okay. Ah. Yeah. When, I, when I'm thinking, okay, I have my smartphones, I have my tablets, and of course my kid is now glued in front of the iPad most of the time. Um, he's starting to get get interest into the movie, so we might reactivate that big old TV once, once, once again, but I really don't get to use the TV as often as I used to be, at least a while ago. I mean, that probably doesn't resonate with everybody else, but just uh, that's... Just, Kind of weird for me. It resonates here. We have it on, but nobody's watching it. Yeah, it's so funny. At, at, like at night now, we're all on our mobile devices. We might be huddled around in the family, right? Room, right, right. And the TV's on. Uh, of course, my kids are poking fun of me because I'm watching PBS and Nova <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, but generally, you know, everybody's either on their mobile device or something like. That. So good, good point, Charlie. We have it on, right? But but so it's is not anybody so much, really watching it? Right. Know? It's not so much that we're just not watching TV that much or watching a screen. We've just shifted our screen there attention yes. elsewhere to different places. There it is. Instead yeah. of instead of the instead of the big one in the living room, it's now smaller ones that we're holding in our hands. Mm -hmm. At least there's one thing. Um, we no longer have to fight for the control. Of That's a good point. <laughs> yep. Great point. Very good point. Their uh, favorite program right in front of them on their mobile device. So we don't have to fight each other. The only thing I have to concern is, all right, kiddo, eat up. Hurry up. Because you too much attention to the screen and not eating. Good stuff. Yep, good stuff. Yep, that's a very good point. All right, what's tech connecting with you? All right, so uh, I remember um, a couple few weeks back, maybe you referenced um, some space junk and debris yes. hitting the James yes. the James Webb yes. telescope. All right, well, well, no, this was really this right. was micron Mic level, but yeah, go ahead. micrometer yeah, yeah. size yes. stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, well, apparently there has actually been a study that says scientists calculate the risk of someone being killed by space junk. Killed? What? What? 
Uh, so this was a study published in Nature Astronomy that uh, did a little bit of investigating into, you know, the stuff that's in space. Okay. The stuff that's man-made that's up there, stuff that's naturally up there that, right. you know, comes through and around our atmosphere and has potential to make it to the surface. And now, kill you. Right. Now, they, they did mention that every minute of every day, debris rains down on us from space, a hazard we're almost completely unaware of, but that microscopic particles from asteroids and comets patter through the atmosphere and settle unnoticed on the Earth's surface. Now, here's a stat, funny stat for you. It adds... Around 40,000 tons of dust each year come from space debris. Uh, yes, I, I think I knew that. So It's like this astronomical number. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, they also then reference like, okay, but then to get into, the, into anything big enough to cause any kind of impact, whether it okay, be fair enough. mild damage, right. big yeah. damage, obviously the catastrophic, you know, crater mm-hmm. type stuff that, that asteroids in the past may have done is obviously very small. However, they did do this study where they did some mathematical modeling based on <laughs> the debris that's in space, whether it's from rockets that have, you know, yep. the stage detachments or whatever, or satellites, the whatever. International Space Station, yeah. as we've talked yeah, about in yeah, other exactly. podcasts. You mentioned yeah. that last week. The International yeah. Space Station that may very soon decide to come plummeting to Earth or get forcibly plummeted to Earth. Uh, so all of this stuff combined, they basically came up with a a 10% chance of one or more casualties over the next decade from space junk falling into, into Whoa, Earth. Whoa, come on. That, that is a pretty large... Now, so wait a minute. 10% chance of one in six billion... One or more casualties, yeah, over the next decade. Over yes. the next 10 years. So it's still, okay. all things considered, it's a very small... That percentage, is a pretty small chance. But yeah. 10% is still a bigger number than I would have expected. Yeah, right? Like, if you told yeah. me it was like 1%, I would have been like, all right, that's still infinitesimally small. Now, the other thing they also pointed out is that because of the way we we put satellites and other stuff up in the atmosphere and the way we engineer them to, you know, be deployed and break apart or whatever, yeah, right. mm-hmm. that unfortunately we tend to direct a lot of this junk towards the southern hemisphere. I'm sure there's oh. no unfortunate bias that went into that. But basically they noted <laughs> well, there's that, more ocean down there. But well, anyway, true. The study has said the study estimated that rocket bodies in particular are approximately three times more likely to land at the latitudes of Jakarta in Indonesia, Dhaka in Bangladesh or Lagos in Nigeria than those of New York Beijing or Moscow, uh, so see, which is that's unfortunate, but yeah. uh, uh, so that you know where we're potentially directing this stuff. But they did point out, you know, that there's a lot of effort to you know mitigate this potential casualties, mm. you know, from ever happening. In particular, obviously, like where um, SpaceX and Blue Origin are working on, you know, yep, reusable right. rockets reusable that rockets, come back yep. to Earth. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, there's a lot of you know this uh, interesting article. Like they mentioned, a lot of different studies that are going on about how to clean up space junk, get more stuff you know out of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and also even engineer some more some different kinds of fuel cells where there might still be enough of a little bit of fuel that it's left over in order to reposition and move the junk after it's used its its primary purpose. And like shoot it way out to either yeah. either p- either put push it, it out mm-hmm. or to put it on a very specific course into our atmosphere that uh, would allow it to burn up. Yeah, right. It, like actually like move into just a like a, a an Earth a low Earth orbit Earth Earth orbit uh-huh. that would allow it to burn up in the atmosphere yeah, before right. it ever had a gotcha. chance to start plummeting to Earth. Yeah, so people are working on making this Holy not a thing. Holy moly! But still a little bit alarming that there's 10%? a ten percent chance of one or more person getting killed over the next decade by chance space of one out of six billion over the next decade. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> so probably not, but I don't want to be that person. You know, Charlie, right. do you? Do you want to be that one person that's the unlucky one? No, but I do recall seeing seeing a news of, I think, somewhere in Australia, maybe. Uh, there was a big piece of black something that looks furry and coming from a rocket of some sort. And then there's some farmer's farm. So it's like, hmm, what happened if I just happen to be there doing something that is a little scary i guess um, i guess um from now on thinking about maybe uh, putting some armor on top of the car <laughs> <laughs> That's there right. you go there you of course go. at the speeds that stuff would have to be traveling i don't know that you know you'd have yeah. to it'd be some pretty impressive armor i think to protect <laughs> you so this is true all right well hey that does it for us today uh charlie Wu from Advantech, thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me uh, until next time, folks, um, maybe you know, keep your eyes into the sky. Duck. Look yeah. out for mm-hmm. some, some debris coming your way. Uh, yeah. And uh, don't hey, hold you your know, phone up to maybe, your ear. Maybe turn on that TV you haven't watched in a while and find something interesting to watch. Like, Charlie, if you need recommendations, I can tell you millions of different shows on streaming services <laughs> to watch. I'm still a TV junkie, unfortunately. but So if you, if you need some help, let me know. I'll be happy to give you some suggestions. And until next time, folks, stay connected. 
Tech Connect Podcast is brought to you by Advantech. All right, Dean, I know you're a pretty big fan of The Edge. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the YouTube guy. Oh, you're right. The great I'm a fan guitarist. of him, too. Yeah. yeah. Like he's or the Galaxy's him. Edge down in. No, I'm not talking about that one oh, either. I'm talking okay, like Edge computing. Oh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. I bring okay. this up a lot. Yes. And we just had a whole episode about smart cities, which you got to have, you know, Edge computing to enable that. That only so. happens with Edge. Come on, keep, right. up, keep up. Please. I'm keeping it. Uh, well, Advantech is enabling faster, smarter computing at the Edge and anywhere businesses need to perform with their newest and upcoming inference systems and fanless embedded box PCs. Now, these are powered by Intel and NVIDIA processors mm. and a variety of connectivity options. Advantage's reputation for high quality and reliable products make them the perfect choice for the kind of compute power that enables edge computing. Absolutely. Smarter yes. city applications. There, yes. was a, there was an article I read all about smarter, not smart Smarts, cities. Yes. Smarter. I, think mm-hmm. that, I like that concept. I like it. Uh, so for applications like that, vehicular computing and much more. So there's a link in the show notes to check out with a flyer to their latest options. Check out their website also at advantech.com or contact your Blue Star representative to discuss your computing needs.